Welcome everyone to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you find listeners. My name is Mike Went, And I'm Aaron Spears. This episode's challenge was films about filmmaking. Uh, as we discussed in our previous episode, the the end of the calendar year for 2022 films seemed a little stacked with, uh, well, stacked may be a little strong. It's three movies, but uh, we've got Spielberg's The Fablemans, uh, which is out right now, um, hopefully still out. Uh, more on that in just a moment. We also have uh, Sam Mendes' uh, kind of possibly autobiographical Empire of Light, which isn't really necessarily about filmmaking, but about the power of film set in a theater, uh, movie theater. Uh, and then we also have Babylon, which is coming out in a couple weeks around the Christmas time. Uh, which I think of the three, I'm actually the most psyched for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's Damien Chazelle, but also it's a pre-code Hollywood uh, debauchery, like big grand thing. Looks like maybe some musical numbers. I'm hope, hope, hope. Um, and I'm also <laughs> a fan of any time I get to see a movie where Brad Pitt is having fun. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. it's based on just the trailer, it just seems like he's having a blast with this role. Yeah. I mean, even though I I am a little bit intimidated by its three hour, eight minute runtime. Uh, <laughs> I still think there's uh, probably worse things you can do than see a, the new Damien Chazelle. I, I just think he's one of our, our most talented uh, young talents. And, you know, I can't wait to see, can't wait to see this movie. I had a different reaction, but in the other way where I was bummed, it was like three hours and eight minutes or whatever it is, because I thought I had heard that he had an early cut of it. That was like a four hour cut. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I want to see four hours of him doing pre-code Hollywood. <laughs> but, um, but as of right now, uh, like I said, Empire Light is out. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, it's uh, you know out within a day or so. Um, yeah. But currently out in theaters is The Fablemans, which you have caught up with, Mike. Yes, uh, I have. I have got to see The Fablemans, and it is, in my opinion, only I guess, but I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I uh, I'm a huge Spielberg fan as many people are uh but uh i think this one has uh it has a lot of heart to it there is uh just some of these scenes uh of showing how the you know the magic of of cinema how how mm-hmm. it can you know how it can inspire I, I mean i think you know as somebody who who just loves filmmaking and has of course dabbled in filmmaking i i mean i think those types of people might be drawn to this movie some people might be maybe not as into it, uh, you know, depending on results may vary just based on your, um, you know, interests, uh, you know, you might find it maybe some, you know, some people might find it a little slow. It's about two and a half hours, but for me, it flew by, um, and, uh, you know, it touched on a lot of different things that, uh, that you see in his work, you know, such as, uh, divorce and, uh, oh, yeah you know, and, and a lot of, a lot of things like that, but it's, uh, it has a very memorable cameo at the end. I will, I dare not spoil. <laughs> and it's kind of out there already of like, you know, who this person plays, but, um, that is like, that is just one of the, the best scenes that I've seen in a movie this whole year and maybe for the last couple of years. Oh, <laughs> Not to overhype it or anything. But yeah, maybe yeah. it's too too high praise. But <laughs> I mean, it's sort of that time of year where like you got to just catch stuff as it comes out, otherwise it's going to get overhyped for you because it's award season and that's how uh, that's how it goes. I so using Fablemans as a jumping off point, we're talking about films about filmmaking. So there's certain things that you want to have within that, I guess, say genre or within that 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 challenge mm-hmm. for this particular episode, and. 
I wasn't really thinking about it till we just were reading off those three different titles about what's currently coming out, The Fablemans, Empire Light, and Babylon. But it's also three very different approaches to that concept. So Fablemans yeah. isn't obviously adult Spielberg-like, time to go make E.T. Yeah. So the level of filmmaking that we're talking about, actually, and I'm looking at my list now, um, mine kind of very, very slightly. But how did, how, so how did you go about approaching it? Did it have to, could it just be like, a kid discovering like the, the joy of art and cinema or cinema as an art form, or did you go like, it has to be on a set or did you have, what parameters did you have for yourself? Yeah, this one, I didn't really put a lot of parameters for myself. Um, I, I think I, I gave a fair representation of, um, you know, the maybe wannabe filmmakers, the up and coming, but then also the, the established, um, and in, and sometimes the established, uh, especially where it comes to my eventual final pick here, um, is like in a in a way that you don't even expect. Um, and this was like a movie, you know. You know, I'm I'm always doing this. I'm always getting ahead of myself, but uh, or uh, <laughs> I'm giving the tease, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but this one was uh, kind of it was something that I had heard about, and I was just like, oh, let me see if this is out. You know, if I can easily stream it and fortunately that was the case but uh okay. yeah it, but yeah so i i kind of just looked at all different aspects of of filmmaking you know and but but i think i'm i'm i tend to be drawn to the ones who are who uh the amateurs who want to become the you know the spielberg or something like that you know i i think that that's like it's an interesting angle um i mean if maybe slightly cliche but you know well it was i i really i put up only one parameter was i didn't want to do any documentaries because i feel like documentaries about the making of a film say like a hearts of darkness or something i figure i think that's kind of a separate topic we can tackle at some other time oh yeah um so i I didn't mention that ahead of time to you i guess but it doesn't sound like you went that way either yeah i mean at first i was immediately when i thought about this i thought about um, probably my favorite documentary of all time, which is American movie, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, actually one of the, the subjects just recently died. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, but, uh, but I thought maybe that was maybe too obvious of a choice or, um, but yeah, but documentaries are like, yeah, they're, they're so much, uh, they're so different where it's interesting to see like the, the fictional approach to, what a filmmaker should be like or what an aspiring filmmaker should right. be like or with this, with American movie or hearts of darkness, which is, you know, super established director, but having like the hell of <laughs> yeah the, the hell of bad times making that movie. Self-inflicted for the most part. By the yeah. Way. A- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that that should definitely be a next year episode. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll add that to the, uh, the doc. I also, uh, we we mentioned it previously with like our midnight movies episode and I think our film noir and some giallo stuff were like this idea of um, I guess I wrote in my, actually I wrote in my notes as like the basic Google search results. I was trying to steer clear of those. I wanted to dive in to get like, you know, yeah. I would love to recommend like an Ed Wood or, you know, something. And that's totally fine if I accidentally just spoiled one of yours, Mike. But <laughs> um, I was like, well, if you do a basic Google search, you're like, I want to film a film about filmmaking. Well, I wanted to dive in. I'm going to make sure I'm diving a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, um, just because like, you know, those are easily findable. And this way you could finally maybe discover something. Also, 
when I did do the basic Google results, just to tie in with these this year end of films, it's almost a theme for this calendar year of movies because you have Ty West's film X, which I liked a lot, right. is a film about filmmaking. And also Jordan Peele's most recent film, Nope, is a film about filmmaking. Yes. Again, a little yeah. bit on the periphery, um, you know, it's animal trainers working in the industry. But um, yeah, I was like, oh, actually, there's several of these movies this year. What's going on? Maybe when COVID hit, screenwriters kind of looked inward and yeah, uh, well, were like really it, thinking about what, what role the film and film industry plays in their lives. But Absolutely. There's another film that um, is uh, going to be coming on Netflix. I did get to catch it uh, in its brief uh, theatrical run at, at the Cedar Lee, but uh, Bardo, uh, which right. is by uh, Alejandro or Inyaratu, uh, which uh, it's basically playing a loose version of himself. But in the film, he plays a, f- a very famous documentarian. But uh, that one is, uh, I'm still kind of processing my thoughts on it. I, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting film and I, you know, I look forward to watching it again when it comes on Netflix, which I think is almost around the same time as when our episode drops here. So, okay. But uh, yeah, it's another, yeah, I, I don't know something in the water. I mean, I thought like initially when I thought about this and it's not even a, a movie about filmmaking, but when we had uh, a, a couple years ago, Roma by mm-hmm. um, Alfonso Coron, I think almost kicked off this whole like, directors looking back even though i think uh you know other foreign filmmakers have you know like fellini with amacord and stuff like that i mean they've all there's always been filmmakers who make films about their childhood but uh you know and then belfast last year uh which you know yeah inspired by um kenneth Branagh's life so yeah kind of an ebb and flow sometimes it comes back then it goes away for a bit then back again also, I think you need to have maybe a little bit of distance with your career. Like Spielberg wasn't trying to make the Fablemans like right after Jaws or, you know, like, sure. but I also kind of want to think about this topic as well that like, it's a topic that I enjoy and I crossed, I mean, I had a pretty solid list going that I was like, ah, I really want to do that one, but I want to cross it off. And I was trying to find a theme to go with or something. Cause there's a ton of these and some of these are some of my favorites, not of all time, but like favorite, like rewatches. I just want to go, like I already mm-hmm. mentioned Ed Wood. Like I would, I can throw an Ed Wood at any time or if I'm, flipping through channels and that's on and be like, well, I'm, I'm set for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. um, Cause I, I just, uh, there's something about the topic that grabs me. Obviously it's cause I'm a film geek, but I wonder if there's a broader audience for this. Like you could probably always get these films financed. If you're a Spielberg, if you're a Quaran or in 32 um, or a Tim Burton, you know, there's certain filmmakers that are going to, these are going to get greenlit and they're going to get some funding for it. Even if they have to fight for it a little bit, because it's being funded from an industry that it's going to look at yes, yeah. in a way, maybe um, not that any funding is necessarily super easy outside of Marvel and star Wars, but I feel like Hollywood loves looking at itself or celebrating itself. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, I don't, I don't know how much, like, I don't think I could get my parents interested in the Fablemans other than maybe the time period they're interested in, like show anybody the trailer and they'll be like, so it's about a family and a kid who likes movies. Like, I kind of wonder what the broader appeal is of these, these particular films. Oh, you're right. I mean, uh, just looking at the, um, the day that we're recording, you know, the, the box office numbers for the numbers for the fables were not good (laughs) or not. And this is Spielberg. Not super great. Um, You know, like, I think it's looking like 3 million over like the whole five day Thanksgiving weekend. And I know recently uh, Scorsese did a uh, interview where he said, like he hates the fact that 
there's so much emphasis put on box office performance and everything. So it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm feeding right into that trap, but, uh, but it's one of those things where looking up like the, the grosses of some of the films that, mm-hmm. that I was looking at for this episode, they, uh, aside from the one that I actually picked, um, didn't do very well at all. Um, sure. like one of them barely, I think was just like barely released um, you know, until it got like a VHS, you know, it got seen on VHS and cable, but, mm-hmm. um, it's like, they, they put it like in a handful of theaters just, just to obligate it's like, you know, contract or something. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like sometimes, yeah, I think the general public probably isn't always super interested in it. And I think, and I mean, I guess this, this could be another topic for something, but I think with the Fablemans, it's like, it's not really clear that it's Spielberg. You know, it's like his name's kind of on the trailer in the or the um Oh, that's a good point. Or the um the ads for it, but it's not just like this is Spielberg's story. Like it's you kind of have to like I don't know. I and you know, he's he said it's semi autobiographical, so maybe he's not comfortable saying, you know, the Spielbergs. Yeah. That's why he called it the Fablemans, but right. it's like that's probably part of the hard sell a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, cause also like it, it's it, well, again, I haven't seen it yet, but it also looking at the time period that they're, that it's looking at, it seems like you could play up like a nostalgia factor for that time period that would get like my parents' generation. Like, Ooh, I would go see that. Like not necessarily American graffiti style, but you know what I mean? Like have a kind of a nostalgia factor for like, Hey, remember growing up in the blah, blah, blah. And you know, yeah. suburb, like all the stuff you'd be like, Oh yeah, I'd, I'd go check that one out. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I knew it was Spielberg, but now that you mentioned that, I was like, there's nothing in the trailer that I remember like really high like it's the Spielberg story told by right. Spielberg. Unless the, you have the character going like Steven, you know, and then he like, turns around and then like right. I don't know. Like <laughs> to his first camera and the ball cap just appears on his head and he <laughs> grows a beard instantly. <laughs> um before we get into honorable mentions, I wanted to ask you, Mike, since uh of the duo uh between us two, you're you're the the filmmaker. Have you ever seen a film about filmmaking that you were like, that's not even close to how it works? Um oh, that's a great question. Or like that just rang false to you that you were just like, uh, I don't really know about that. Cause my 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 hunch was that it it's a it's a genre or it's a type of film that if you're going to make it, you know the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that it's a great question. I mean most of the time, I think they do get it right. Like, I haven't ever, like, been, like, egregiously, like, oh, no, that's all, all wrong. Right. I think a lot of times, though, when it is maybe based on a true person, uh, that's where sometimes some inaccuracies might might come into play. I, You know, one of the films, I think it came out over the last, gosh, probably over the last 10 years, but I remember being a little confused by the it, it was called Hitchcock with um I think with Anthony, oh, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, like there yeah. was a few things in there that seemed almost like like they were probably trying to condense like a lot of things like right into sure. time. But um I can't think of anything specific that was wrong with it. But I just I remember enjoying it because it was about filmmaking and mm-hmm. generally I'm just drawn to those films. But I do remember there was a few things in it that just seemed like a little too like easier on the, on the nose. On the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I remember people saying that when they were walking out of that, that one quite a bit where I was like, yeah, it's fun. But it was like, well, yeah, it didn't feel like the definitive Hitchcock story. It was just sort of. Yeah. Like, a, like it almost like brushed a couple things under the rug. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and it it just was like oh the conflict sometimes is not always there it's just yeah it's just like it, it comes easy for all these people sometimes right <laughs> All right. Well, you want to start us off with an honorable mention, Mike? Sure. Um, so the first honorable mention I have is um, is is kind of the movie that I was talking about that was kind of dumped into theaters, but then found an audience um, VHS and cable, and it's the directorial debut of Christopher Guest. Um, you know, best known for Spinal Tap, and uh, you know, uh, of course. Um, and eventually made all these like great mockumentaries, but it's called the big picture uh, from 1989. It has Kevin Bacon in it and uh, Kevin Bacon plays this. Um, he's like kind of like a up and coming director. He, he wins this uh, student film award and is instantly kind of brought into, uh, you know, different meetings and everything is offered a, a movie. Everything kind of goes horribly <laughs> um in it um where um you know he's offered this movie but then they they immediately have all these changes that they want to make to his to his vision um you know he has a, a girlfriend but then also he's kind of attracted by the you know terry hatcher uh of course you know from uh lois and clark and um and uh, Desperate Housewives and, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of like it is a I would say it's not like a laugh out loud, funny movie, but it is a, it's a very interesting satire of of that Hollywood lifestyle and um, how it can kind of corrupt you. And um, it has a it has a really good cast, including like a uh, an uncredited Martin Short, uh, but he gives like Ooh. a very interesting role as a um as his agent who's kind of like uh flamboyant and uh <laughs> has oh like yeah this, has like this very uh weird wig that he has <laughs> on his head <laughs> uh but uh but I, uh that one is like one of the earlier ones that i remember you know going back to my my hbo days that that was uh <laughs> that was something that would often play on hbo and i think kevin bacon gives like a pretty you know, he had like a good run there in the late eighties, yeah. early nineties, where he was getting a lot of leading roles in like probably smaller movies, but, um, but no, he, he gives a really good performance in this. And it's, uh, um, you know, it's also great to see, um, you know, Michael McKeon co-wrote the script and he has a pretty, um, good, uh, supporting role in that as well. Yeah. So, pretty good one. And it's, um, you said 89, right? Yeah. Okay, because I, I remember this being, I know you said it was an HBO staple um, for you. I remember, I feel like it was like always on Comedy Central at some point too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it made the rounds for yeah. sure. I see what you mean by being discovered then like with the like the home video and the VHS. Yeah, market. from what I've read or what I was reading is that it was greenlit uh, by a different, so it, it was like there was a studio head at uh, Columbia Pictures and they really championed the film and then that person was let go and then when the movie was about to come out like you know this new studio head you know basically inherited the movie saw the movie and was just like uh you're like almost like shitting on our <laughs> on, yeah, on the system awesome. and our product <laughs> yeah. so they basically they kind of buried it and then um, so like it says it only grossed like a hundred thousand dollars or something. Ooh, yeah, that's buried. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. 
Because like something that would have such like a presence on TV, you would think would have been like at least semi um, successful in the theaters or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like maybe it went the other route of like, nobody remembers this movie. It was cheap to purchase the rights to, and we can do it over and over again on Comedy yeah. Central. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking because 89 as well, like I know, like, you know, you're kind of in the middle of the, or at the start of the Sundance Film Festival independent boom after like yeah. the and videotape. So I remember this one when I've, I didn't catch it till like much later. Yeah. Like on, like I said, Comedy Central or basic cable and seen it i remembered that like i'm pretty sure his character i think was from ohio yes and yes. then also i was like oh my god this sounds like what everybody's doing by trying to get their film into sundance or into a festival and then becoming the next big thing there's there's a funny joke at the towards the beginning of the film when he's meeting this the studio head played by uh the late uh, jt walsh um, oh perfect kind of always played like a good sleazeball yes know, like, <laughs> Um, but, uh, so he tells him that he's from Ohio and he's like, ah, my, uh, my wife's, uh, my wife's friends from Illinois, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Midwest is just one big state, right? You're you're not from here, I guess. Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) How about you? I went, uh, oh, you know what? I put these in chronological order again. I don't know. My brain just does that, I guess. All right. Next time I'm not doing chronological order, (laughs) uh, make a note right now. Um, so I am going all the way back. Actually, I was able to, I rewatched two movies and I watched a brand new one for this episode. And one of the ones I I was, I was in a car for a bit, so I had time. Um, so one of the ones I rewatched that I was like, oh my God, that is a movie film about filmmaking to a degree. Uh, but it's one I hadn't seen since film school and it's laugh out loud, hilarious. It's the film, the cameraman from 1928 starring Buster Keaton. Oh, okay. Yeah. Apparently it's one of those, like he's uncredited as possibly also directing the directing credit goes to Edward Sedgwick, just kind of a workhorse director from back yeah. in that era. This one is, I, it's a, it's got the formula Buster Keaton, like everybody likes like the slapstick and the goofy stuff or like him around all this chaos, uh, you know, getting caught up in it or not caught up in it. But it's, it's a little, I think it's a little different because there's like a really solid like romantic chemistry between him and uh, Marcelina Day, who plays the love interest. So yeah. he is actually like a still he's a still cameraman in the movie. Uh, not uh, not still uh, pictures of people. What do you call it? Portrait. He's a portrait photographer. He has this crush on um, her name is Sally. She's a secretary who works for MGM newsreels. And so in order to be near her and wow her, he's like, well, I'm going to switch. I'll be a filmmaker. So. <laughs> he's going to become a newsreel cameraman to impress her because that way also he'd be feeding footage into the office that she works at. So like, yeah. he's around her more. And of course there's a, um, I forget the guy's name, but there's like a romantic rival. Um, of course that he's got to, got to you know, do better than. And so it ends up being that he, um, so he's going out trying to get, you know, newsreel footage. So it's weird in 2022 eyes, there's like some weird night crawler vibes. <laughs> he's going out trying to find the events as they happen. Um, I mean, it's nowhere near like that level of sleaze. Like this is actually just like slapstick romantic comedy gold. Um, I mean, I think it's like maybe an hour long. It's a pretty quick one. Yeah. But one of the things he goes out to do um, or when he's on his way out, it's a, he gets a tip that something's going down over in Chinatown and he ends up like filming a gang war. And it's really <laughs> weird because there's like uh, Tommy guns and like Gatlin guns out of windows. Like it's over the top, like shootout. Right. But it's all set with like Buster Keaton and like that, you know, the organ music going and he's just fumbling around getting all this footage. <laughs> the selling point here though, um, picture those early cameras, like they're bulky. Those, oh, yeah. those 
unwieldy tripods with like the center leg, like all that. Oh my God. And he uses all that as props. Like it's, it's more humor for him. At one point he goes by an organ grinder, like the dude with like, you know, the, the musical thing with the yeah. monkey on there. And it, he, it, it's, it's inadvertently assumed that it's thought that Buster Keaton killed the monkey due to this little mishap. <laughs> and so the cop that's next to him is like, okay, we'll pay him for that monkey and you take the body with you. You got to get it out of here. And he's like, all right, fine. Well, the monkey was just knocked out, but that's awesome because now Buster Keaton has a monkey buddy for the rest of the film. <laughs> and when he goes through that Chinatown shoot and all that, he's got a monkey with him and it's like on, I mean, it's like a whole melee. Like, and I, I was just like cry laughing through a good portion of this film, that's, that's uh, but also gets to that early camera, the newsreel vibe. It's 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 a really fun time. So, cameraman from uh, 1928, uh, starring Buster Keaton. That's awesome. Well, what else you got, Mike? Any more honorable mentions? Yeah. Um. So this one uh, is a more recent one. Uh, came out in 2007. It is called Son of Rambo, and um, it's one of those movies that um, it, it was directed by Garth Jennings, who is a, a British filmmaker. Um, but um, it's one of those movies when I saw it, uh, which I think it was like a promo screening or something at uh, probably my guess is Cedar Lee. <laughs> but you know, it's a it's basically about two uh, two young boys who um, see the movie Rambo and uh, decide to remake it almost shot for shot. And um, around that same time is like when I saw. Uh, the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation, which like uh, oh, yeah. about these, uh, these boys who uh, they basically over the the course of like seven summers remade Raiders of the Lost Ark shot for shot. And so like I think I had saw it like just before seeing this movie. So like when I saw Son of Rambo, I was like, oh my god! Like you know, this is this is like so cool. Um, and it, it's like it's got a really great you know like kind of British. Uh, punk uh, slash new wave soundtrack to it. Um, and when I saw it at that promo screening, I was like, wow, I think this is going to be like that indie hit that, uh, you know, really just kind of resonates with people. I, I you know, like, you know, I was like, oh, this is so great. And I remember uh, talking to, um, you know, our uh, friend Jen Vincent about it. And I was yeah. like, I was like, this is, I think this is going to do great. And she was like, yeah, it's probably going to do terrible. <laughs> I was like, really? I was like, I loved it so much. She was like, yeah, yeah. Cause like, that's your thing. Right. But, but the general public isn't into it, but yeah. anyway, it, it's one. Of, so yeah, it, it did came out or it did eventually come out and didn't, yeah, it didn't really make a dent locally or, or mm-hmm. uh, domestically. Right. It was a pretty big hit um, overseas. But um, it's one of those movies that if you've never seen it, and I'm sure a lot of people have never heard of it, it's so charming and and funny, and yeah. uh, I you know I I highly suggest it. Um, it's it's just uh, it's a great uh, great little movie. But yeah, it, it's a shame it just didn't really find an audience here. It. I, I never did what these kids did, but it, watching it, like it's so perfectly captures that like 11, 12 year old, like when you have an obsession and it's yes. all you're doing, I was like, I'm like, oh my God, like I, yeah, like it, it, it definitely, it hit, it hit home. Yeah. And, and, you know, like a good cast, uh, that like now are in a lot of, you know, when you see British films now, or, or at least even some that are made here, uh, um, yeah. you know, like those actors are, they're, they're doing pretty well for themselves. So yeah. it's pretty yeah. nice. 
Any other ones for you? I had one other one that I, so like it is kind of in that broad general, if you go a little bit slightly deeper in a general Google search of films about filmmaking, eventually you'll get to day for night, 1973 mm-hmm. by Francois Truffaut. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite French directors. Um, I remember watching this movie in film school and I was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's good. But it really didn't wow me the way like some of the like the Godard stuff or uh, L.A. Renault or somebody like really hit me. Francois Truffaut stuff really kept snuck up on me as I've grown up. And usually when I revisit it, I'm just like, how did I not notice that? I mean, you know, sometimes you just don't watch the right movie at the right time. Right. Uh, but rewatching it like I. Oh, so this one is about Francois Truffaut. Like, he actually even plays himself in the movie, I think. I mean, he's the director. So it's a movie within a movie. And so with this one, you do get like the actual like you're on set. Uh, the way like the cameraman with Buster Keaton was like a newsreel photographer or newsreel film um, cameraman. Um, you know, this is an actual like they're on a set. Um, there's actors. There's the whole crew with them. And you do get to see some scenes as they're filming them of like it kind of lingers at times on like the scene that they're doing. And it's actually a credit to how good the actors are and the writing and the filmmaking is that you're like there are a couple of times where I was like, what's what's going on with that? Like, I want to see more of that scene. Um, but it yeah. also focuses and you have French Rochefort as the director, but it's not just about the director. It kind of is this ensemble piece where the rest of the the cast that's in there, like you have, you have Jacqueline Bissett is one of the main uh, actresses in it. Um, of course, it's a Truffaut film, so Jean-Pierre Liot is in there. But it doesn't just focus on like the main star of the movie. You also get like, okay, here's, um, I don't know, like the prop department here. Like you see like yeah. a full ensemble of like all the different departments uh, within this film set named for the way that you you film things. Like you don't necessarily always go out and film at uh, night for a night scene. You shoot day for night. Um, although right. the, the, the name of the movie itself is La Nuit Americaine. So it's American night, which is very different than day for night. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't really remember why the, the naming convention was changed there. But you do get Truffaut as a director. He specifically wanted to bring in an international cast because he wanted he, part of the themes that he's dealing with there is like the mythology that is able to be created um, within cinema, like larger than life personas. Yeah. So, you know, you get in different actors from uh, all, all around the world. Um, and I, I again, I love that it has multiple points of view and all these different little threads. And it really taps into like what you uh, again, this speaks to a very narrow audience though as well. Like it, it, it speaks to so many little 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 moments here where like the power of of cinema is like, you know, stronger than life. And you know, there's these uh grand, you know, kind of very, very French, stereotypical French like philosophical ideas that come up through the movie of like, you know, which is more important, leaving a legacy or living a great life. And I know he filmed or um not filmed, but he had this idea after Truffaut came to uh, Hollywood-ish and did Fahrenheit 451, he wanted to do a movie that shows why, like, you know, that's the power of, like, reading and and the art of books, the art of literature uh, yeah. to change minds and to grow and become better humans. Uh, he wanted to do, like, the equivalent of that, but for film. And I think he did it with this one. And I, I don't know what I was thinking of when I saw this in film school. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Because I was like, <laughs> just watching recently, I was like, man, I just, I could hang out with that movie again right now. Um, yeah, which is a theme I will revisit here in just a moment. But it's <laughs> it isn't like you're waiting for like, oh, they're they're finally done and the movie premieres and it's going to be a hit like it doesn't. That's not the ending to it. It's just you're hanging out with these characters and you're seeing the process. Some days go great. Some days like that actor just didn't show up. What are we going to do now? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, thing. And it's very it's like it's so light on it. It's it such a light touch. Um, but then you s- sort of realize like what characters you're connecting. With. I don't know. It it's uh, I guess it just sort of plays differently at different ages of audiences but 
yeah, I, I was just completely in love with it watching it this time. That was one that I, I watched for the first time during the pandemic. And oh, nice. Was, uh, you know, it was like kind of like a warm blanket. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good description for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, you know, master storyteller, master filmmaker, and you just, you're hanging out with some good performances, good time. And if you're into movies, like it's just going to make you smile. Absolutely. So, so what film did you end up picking? So I ended up picking, uh, as I said, I went in chronological order. So this was a bit more recent, well, more recent than 73, but it's from 1996. I went with uh, Olivier Assayas's Irma Vep. Oh. This is why you can be Irma Vep. Because you have the grace. I tell them I can do the thing if you do the part. But it's just tough on me because I don't fight. I'm not a good fighter myself. So it's a little bit difficult when I have to do do the actions. I think we have to take it for a completely different point of view. This one you've seen, Mike? Uh, I have not. Uh, but I I recently watched some of the the remake that they did on HBO. I am looking forward to that one because I haven't watched it yet, but Olivia Siasis is back and he's doing it as a miniseries. Um, so it's not like somebody's doing it for him or they bought the rights. He was like, you know what? This might work. Yeah. And he's working with A24 to produce it. So it, it traditionally A24 is like, here, go make your movie. Like they're not a <laughs> controlling. You got to do this sort of um, sort of production house. But so this is one which is a, a, a slight theme we have on this show of. I've owned this movie for years. Like I bought it years ago. I cracked open the seal <laughs> and actually put it in my Blu-ray player. Uh, well, it's a DVD, but I put it in the Blu-ray player to to watch. And I, I'm so glad I did. So you've got Olivia Sizes doing the writing and directing duties here. He gets uh, Maggie Chung to come in. If you um, are aware are unaware of her, she's been basically in like most of the Wong Kar Wai movies that you love. Um, mm. If you've seen any of his. Uh, she's also was in... One police story, one, two, and three, I believe. Okay. Um, I was looking at her career. She's like, I, you've been in all these movies I love. I didn't realize you were one of my favorite actresses. <laughs> uh, but so she's playing a version of herself in this one. She comes to France to do a, to make a film. Um, they're doing a remake of uh, Les Vampires, uh, the famous like early French silent film, actually silent film series, I guess, really. Uh, but they're going to reimagine it where she's actually a burglar and a spy uh, she dresses in this like rubber latex, basically cat suit. Um, so Irma Vep, if you swirl around those letters, spells vampire. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, all right. I actually, that didn't even occur to me. I may have missed it in the movie uh, until I was reading about it. I was like, oh, shit, look at that. It does do that. Uh, or it's an anagram. That's the word for it. Uh, so that's not literally about vampires, but that's the role she's going to be playing here. And again, it very close to day for night. I think this was much better, actually. Um just barely nudges out day for night. That's why that wasn't my main pick. But this one, you just, you're hanging out again. Like it's just, it's another hangout movie, which I guess is just a style I really enjoy. Um, <laughs> she's in town. So you do have this little bit of an outsider dynamic going on. Cause she's the actress coming in to this uh, established, you know, you got a French film director, actually the French film director of this movie played by Jean-Pierre Léaud from day for night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Francois Truffaut staple. So there's a little bit of this outsider thing. So she's just kind of like, she's driven around then she goes and hangs out. She goes to dinner at this place. She's, or she has dinner with the crew. I think she goes to like a rave with somebody at one point in the morning. She's 
exhausted. She's picked up. She goes to the set. And I think like the director is a no show. So like they have this other director that steps in and it's just sort of like when you're not, we're not following the director here. So you're not like looking for like the art, artistic vision. The, the substitute director comes in and is like, well, I don't want you as the lead. And we're like, well, what <laughs> do we do about that then? <laughs> so it's not like it's based on the drama of, again, like, will this or won't this come out and be a hit? It's just, you're just hanging out with these characters in this very specific environment. It gives you some like light. It's very light on its feet commentary of like French film history. Because mm. uh, obviously they're remaking like a French silent film series. So like there's some commentary on like, do we need remakes? Uh, also, this is 1996. Keep in mind. So it was like, you know, do we need to do remakes? Why can't we just write something original? Well, this is original. It's based on something previously, though, but we're doing our own spin on it. But then it's also looking at the current state of French cinema um, as well versus the way Hollywood works. Um, I don't I just I found it to be just as like. Uh, well, like you said, just as warm blankety as day for night was, yeah. um, but just like a touch more, I think. And I don't know if it was just like the charm uh, that, that Maggie Chung brings to the role of like kind of a different version of herself um, or what, but I just, maybe because she's such a good vehicle as like an audience character. Cause like, I'm not French. I've never been to France. I've never been on a set in France. Her <laughs> coming in is sort of like that outsider is just like, what a great venue to like take an American viewer through, through this particular story. No, that sounds awesome. I, I, uh, cause I, I have watched one or two episodes of the, the HBO remake. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was based on something else, but I don't, you know, it's just sometimes timing and right, right. Uh, all this, but uh, no, it, it's something that I, I'm aware of, but I, yeah, I just, unfortunately I've never seen, but the way how you're describing it is really silly. <laughs> I, I, w- I would wrap it up and I'm not a huge fan of silly of always doing comparisons, but the feeling I got from it was very close to the feeling I got as a kid or as a young, younger person when I watched get shorty the first time. Oh yeah. I was just kind of like, it just feels kind of cool. Like yeah, all the characters, like they talk cool, they act cool, they dress cool. And like that one, this gave me some of those vibes, even as some good, um, Oh, it's a band. Hang on. It's in my brain. They have a couple Sonic youth, um, ah. songs in it that I was like, Ooh, that's really good. I would have used that for a needle drop on our previous episode. If I had watched this at time, that was a really cool moment, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah, it's just, it was cool. I don't know. Like, and I mean that with an exclamation point at the end of it, not as a, yeah, it was really cool. I just loved hanging out with that movie and we'll, we'll definitely check out the remake. Cause I like Asias as a director. He's, he's one of those kind of like hard to pin down on my brain, which is why I love watching his stuff. I mean, I yeah. like everything from like summer hours to Carlos, the other TV uh, project he did with Edgar Ramirez. Yeah, you're right. Kills Maria, personal shopper, like everything he's put out. I can't peg him down as like, oh, that's an Asias film. But like, I've always enjoyed, if not loved his stuff. Well, yeah, you're right. Because like he kind of transcends like different or he like hops to different um, continents, you know, like he doesn't like just stick to France making these things. Right. Like, he goes like all over and like um i know that uh he did one at one point scout for a movie here in ohio really actually in the southern part of ohio um i don't know if it ended up getting made but um but i i just thought that was when i a friend of mine who uh was scouting with him i was just like mm-hmm. oh my god like he's making a movie he's here, he's movie here. <laughs> like that's awesome so, yeah i mean very i mean if hopefully maybe it happens down the line because you know once Sometimes when people visit here, they eventually do something here. They may not do it right away, but right. that would be great. <laughs> get in their brain and they uh, yes. have to come back. Feather in the cap. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. 
Uh, what do you got, Mike? What is your pick for films about filmmaking? Yeah. So this one, uh, I wanted to um, find something that I've never seen before. And uh, I wanted, I didn't want to go like the traditional sense, I guess. So uh, the one that I found came out in 1978. All right. And I'm, if you can guess, who do you think in 1978 was the biggest box office draw? You mean as a star? Yeah. I want to say Burt Reynolds. You are correct. Oh, it is, all right. It is a Burt Reynolds movie. Um, it, Interesting. It, it came out right after um, Smoking the Bandit. It's called Hooper. Burt Reynolds is Hooper, and Hooper is a real hero. He can take more crashes. Oh, jeez! More fire. Ah. Hello, gorgeous. More love. More hits. He can take more risks and have more fun than anyone can imagine. This is Hooper, the story of the greatest stuntman of them all and his competition. Wait a year and a half to meet you. How's that? I get to perform with Sonny Hooper. Oh, hell, that ain't no big deal. I Burt Reynolds, Chad Michael Vincent, Sally Field. I'm yours. Brian Keith, James Best, Robert Klein, and Terry Bradshaw. In Hooper's world, talk is cheap. And life is cheaper. We may be in trouble. A stunt is a gag, and a gag is no laughing matter. Bam! Building falls on you, crushes you, fade out the end. Great, Roger. Of course, we'll have a dozen cameras going. And when the director yells, Action! Go! 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 I want to hit it! He really means action. Hooper's in a dangerous business, but his reward is excitement, adventure, and a fortune if he lives to collect it. Burt Reynolds is Hooper, the greatest stuntman alive. I love stuntmen. Hooper, the newest movie from the team that brought you Smokey and the Bandit. And Hooper is also directed by Hal Needham, who made uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. But uh, this movie is a love letter essentially to stuntmen or stunt people. Oh, I'm in. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's um, Burt Reynolds plays Hooper, the, the title character. He is like this super chill, very like relaxed stuntman. And he does all these like crazy stunts throughout the movie. Um, and from what I've, from what I've read, the relationships in the film um, are slightly what inspired Tarantino to make Cliff Booth and um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Rick Dalton. I'm like, how can I forget that? Uh, oh, what's about time? Rick oh, yeah, Dalton. yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, apparently this film kind of inspired him to, to make those characters. But uh, basically it follows him as he's working on this, on this current film as the stunt coordinator. And uh, there is a young hotshot, new guy who's come in come into it and uh you know he he goes by ski or, or that's um that's what a, a burt reynolds's character calls him is ski but basically um you know he's younger thinner you know a little more daring and it almost comes off like at first it's going to be a threat to burt reynolds's status but then you know he takes a liking to him and um it is a lot of times it's kind of like a hangout movie. And then all of a sudden, like there's these crazy 
great stunt sequences. Mm-hmm. It it eventually um, leads to them, you know, they're working on this film that it's never really stated what it is, but there's moments in the score where it makes it sound like they're working on a James Bond movie. But um, oh, that's interesting. Basically, there's a crossroads towards the end of the film uh, where the director uh, is so impressed with with uh, both Hooper and Ski's work that he rewrites the ending of the film and wants them to do this insane jump a la uh, speed, you know, the bus like uh, <laughs> hopping from uh, the – Oh, jump in the freeway? Yeah. So it's yeah. like there's a <laughs> – Basically, a you know a, a drawbridge is like put down, and the car has to travel over three hundred something feet. Awesome, um, and it it leads to like this. You know, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it leads to like this really awesome sequence at the end. My my jaw was dropped uh, of or like because of like you know this was nineteen seventy eight, so it was all practical effects. Oh yeah. Um, just insane explosions, cars. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, there's something about it. It's like, it doesn't really have a mean bone in its body. Really. It's like such an optimistic kind of movie. Sure. Um, and, um, you know, even, uh, Sally Fields in it, uh, at the time she was, I guess, uh, her and, uh, Burt Reynolds, like they, they started dating after smoking the bandit. So, it sounds like he was very loyal to a lot of his people yeah. uh, because like Hal Needham was his stunt man for a long time. And, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, this is just a straight up love letter to the stunt people who are sadly oftentimes overlooked, you know, yeah. for so many of these movies. And, um, you know, I know there's, there's still this petition at some point for stunt people to be given, uh, an, an Academy award, um, a category for the Oscars. You know, oh, that'd be great. That, that ever happens. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it was, uh, it was really fun. Like, and it's like, you know, it's like maybe a little over 90 minutes. It, it flew by and, uh, just show how effortlessly Burt Reynolds, um, his, like, uh, his charm was like, mm-hmm. that was like the height of his charm. And one of the, one of the only movies about filmmaking that, was a huge box office hit. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask. Yeah. I was like, so this one, cause I mean, at the, the powers he had and the, the hits after hit after hit, he was making yeah. in the seventies. It made like, like 80 million. So like back then that that's probably close to like 200 now or something. How much was it? You say 80 million. 80, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like 70. I think it says 78, but yeah. Irma Vep did not make 80 million at the box. office. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was in like the hundreds of thousands in the, the North American box office. So yeah. That one, uh, no, that's shooting to the top of my uh, my watch list because of the 70s stuff I've been watching. I've been kind of like circling a lot of uh, Burt Reynolds movies without actually watching them. Yeah. And because uh, like I still have never done like a Smoking the Bandit or Cannonball Run. And I really like the Hell Needham stuff that I've watched. And uh, as far as like stunts go, but also the couple that I've seen that he directed have been it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, Stroker Ace, I think. And then is it? He did one with Barry Bostwick in the set in the future, like Magnum Force. Oh yeah, yeah, mega yeah. Mega, mega Force, Mega Force. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just it's trash, but like, oh my god, the stunt works. And like you said, in that time period too, like you're watching not just practical effects, but you're actually watching like metal cars, like in a car chase, which just yeah, like, just makes me giggle now. So it's just like, oh, that's not what it looks like when a Kia wrecks anybody <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, he also made uh, Hal Needham also made uh, the the BMX movie Rad, which uh, oh yeah, like, it's a movie like I I love it. I but I will fully admit that it's not the greatest movie. Oh no, no, but <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but no guy he knew how to make a very entertaining movie with like kick ass stunts, like just yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go too long without just giving you something to wow at. So Exactly. Yeah. So our official watch challenge picks for films about filmmaking are Irma Vep from 1996 and Hooper from 1978. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Well, our next challenge, uh, that episode is going to come out pretty close to the uh, Christmas holidays. So we were looking at like, well, let's do something to tie it in there. And I don't want to just do like holiday or Christmas films because like that's a huge topic and I'm not yeah. terribly interested also in, in a lot of those um, specifically ones that are only that so we thought let's take a look at specific, uh, specifically the horror side of that so holiday horror films we'll be right. looking at next time uh, at the point of recording we have something like you know Violent Night is ready to come out I keep seeing ads for it everywhere maybe it's just the algorithms of stuff I'm watching it's <laughs> giving me that ad but I don't know that we're looking at another more box office hit territory uh, like we were talking about with films about filmmaking but uh, we will see so holiday horror films are coming up next if there's any justice it will be it will be uh, I, I cannot wait to see John Leguizamo as a bad guy like the villain too like the main bad guy is John Leguizamo that guy can chew some scenery Right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> if you'd like to send us your picks for holiday horror or suggest a topic or genre you like covering on a future show, uh, please email us at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or visit the links in the show notes. Indeed. And until next time, folks, rate and review the show, whatever podcast app you are listening to us right now, and we'll see you with the next challenge. Mm-hmm.